Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Good morning. If you are new, uh, we are, you have come right in the middle of the series uh, in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians that we are titling Christians Behaving Badly because contrary to popular opinion that, that once you become a Christian, you don't autom- automatically stop sinning, uh, but that's not our confession. So that our confession isn't that we are good. Our confession is that God is good. Our, our confession isn't that we save ourselves and we justify ourselves. And it, it's that J- Jesus justifies us. Jesus saves us. He's washed us. It's, it's something that he has done. And w- as we are walking down this path following Jesus in this series, there are two huge ditches that we are, we're constantly going to have t- to battle. One is a, a licentious ditch, and the other one is a, um, is a legalistic ditch. And in this series, we're, we're both, if we have a tendency to do one of those things, it's really going to, to challenge that because the, the, uh, being licentious or being legalistic are both contrary to the gospel, even though that they are a big part of the Christian experience. And last week we had the sex talk and I said, there'll be all sorts of questions that would be firing off in your head and I was going to try to address them the following week. Well, it's the following week, and I uh, can't delay it anymore. And so uh, we're going to address some of those, those questions. Somebody suggested that I title this Frequently Unanswered Questions, and F-U-Q. And I said, listen, I've got a hard time pronouncing words, and so I don't know that that's going to go well if I have to. So that's not it. So don't get excited. Uh, um, so last week, we, we talked about the fact that, that the biblical sexual ethic is that sex is designed to thrive in the confines of marriage. And the Bible defines marriage. Uh, our creator, God, defines marriage as one man, one woman, one life. Sex outside of this God-ordained institution is what the Bible refers to as sexual immorality. This is a very, very clear teaching uh, in the Bible, and really Christians uh, all over the globe and all throughout history have believed. It's come into question in the past uh, few decades, but again, we see this in the creation account, we see this in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament, but most importantly, it is affirmed and confirmed by, by Jesus. So in Mark 10, um, Jesus addressing questions about divorce, he says, look, before we can talk about divorce or anything, uh, you, you have to understand marriage. And he said, this is what marriage is. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's what marriage is, two becoming one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So that's what marriage is. And there's some Christian beliefs that are really important um, that that, that aren't worth uh, fighting over. I'll put it this way, not worth bleeding over. It's why different churches have gotten started. So like it, questions about baptism, you know, like different people baptize people different way. It's important, um, but it's not worth bleeding over. Uh, there's issues about uh, the second coming and when is that going to happen or, you know, issues about uh, the, the exact nature of, of heaven and hell. And there's, there's, a, there's several things, um, certain uh, governance structures, how the church should be organized, 
These are important, and, and different churches get started because of these important issues, even though they're not worth bleeding over. Marriage is one of those beliefs, though, that isn't just, hey, I may need to find a different church. It's, I may need to find a different faith. And there, there's something because of the biblical sexual ethic that's causing people to do what's known as they're deconstructing. Their faith is deconstructing, and this is one of the key, one of the key issues. God gave us a very, very clear theology of marriage, very plain, very clear. And I think that, here's how I'd phrase what I, what I do today, is that I think that we know that it's right. I think it doesn't always feel right. And because it doesn't feel right, it causes us to, to question certain things. And I just feel it feels so exclusive. And sometimes it actually feels hateful, you know, and, you know, it's all these things go ahead. So here, here's the, the message today. Here, here's the real title. Is I, there are five filters that I believe that are affecting our view of the biblical sexual ethic. And so what I want to do is I want to address each one of these filters to make you aware that this is a possibility that could be affecting how you're viewing this. And... And then maybe you'll find help from that. I want to encourage you, strengthen you. because, uh, Or maybe you know, maybe you believe in this and like you have no tension over it. You just don't know why you believe it. This will help you as well. Okay, here's filter number one. How the church has treated the gay community in the past few decades. That's a filter that may be affecting how you're viewing what the Bible has to say about sex. During the Alexandrian plague in the third century, Christians risked their lives caring for the sick taking a, a posture of, uh, you may, you, you're, you're not going to die alone. I'm here for you. Uh, the church embodied the, the gospel in ways the world hasn't seen often enough, and that message was never forgotten, and Christianity exploded. In the 1980s, the AIDS epidemic hit the gay community, and otherwise healthy men were dying, but nobody really knew why. The only link seemed to be their sexuality. The church had another opportunity to once again speak grace and instead spewed venom. Rather than showing compassion, we self-righteously proclaimed God's judgment. The message was loud and clear, and it hasn't been forgotten. This has created an us and them in the church that continues to exist today. Instead of seeing that we all fall short and need grace of God, we have created a hierarchy of sins and we conveniently put the ones we're tempted with on the bottom. So in the church, we'll accept someone who is greedy, but we won't accept someone who is gay. This hypocrisy has not been lost on people who are deconstructing, and it may even cause you, some of you today, to question the Bible's sexual ethic. When we treat the, the gay community this way, we are, we are belittling our own sin and magnifying the sins of others. And we do this not because we're taking the Bible too seriously, it's that we're not taking the Bible seriously enough. The Bible calls all of us to leave our sin at the foot of the cross and submit everything to his lordship. Like that's it, if you wanna follow me, awesome. Deny yourself every day, by the way, and pick up your cross and follow me. Deny, deny your, your desire for money, deny your desire for career, for family, even your, your sexuality. But hey, I've, I've, I've got a lot of money over here. And then that even caused the disciples to say things like, man, who can be saved if this is what it takes? This is the call. 
And then Jesus says, what's, what's impossible with man is, is possible with God. God does something supernatural in your heart that illuminates your ability to see that there's nothing better than Jesus. And I gladly will submit everything to the lordship of Jesus. And we all do that. When the, when the church first got started among the Jewish community, they thought you had to become Jewish in order to become a Christian. In Acts 15, um, they decided, no, uh, you don't need to be Jewish to, to be a Christian, but you do need to submit everything to the lordship of Jesus. So in verse 19, a leader in, the, in this early council group said, it is my judgment, therefore, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We, we don't choose our temptations. We do choose how we respond to our temptations. Um, statistically, 14% of women will experience same-sex attraction. 1% of women will exclusively experience same-sex attraction. 7% of men will experience same-sex attraction. 2% of men will exclusively experience same-sex attraction. Do you have to have heterosexual attractions to be a Christian? Depends whether or not you depend on yourself or the cross to put to death the desires of the flesh. I say we not make it difficult for the same sex attracted people who are turning to God, but that we would all submit our desires to the Lordship of Jesus and we tell the world of his grace. This, these stats are particularly important as we move to the next generation and how we handle um, our youth and young people who come up through our midst and how we point them to Jesus and his grace and say his way is better. So one is that we, is that you may have a difficult time viewing the biblical sexual ethic because you've seen how the church has treated the gay community. And I'm just here to say it's not because we've taken the Bible too seriously, it's because we haven't taken it seriously enough. Secondly, we actually don't understand what marriage is in the first place. Um, human sexuality and marriage is given to us as a signpost of the big thing that God is doing in the universe, which he is preparing a people for his son from every tribe, every tongue. He's preparing. That is the big concept. He is a father and he's looking for a family. He's looking for a, a people. That, is, that marriage is a signpost to that. When our kids were little, say like two or three, we would go and uh, buy them gifts for say Christmas or their birthday, whatever, and wrap them all up. And then we'd put the gifts in front of them and they would open the first one. And then they, after they're done opening it, they set the gift aside and then they opened the second one and the second one. And, and then they just, they, were, they just played with the wrapping paper, right? This was very frustrating to me as one who's, who struggles spending money in the first place. And so it's like, man, why would he give them all these gifts? Why don't we just give them a wad of wrapping paper and like let them play with that? They were obsessed with the wrapper and they ignored the gift. The purpose of the wrapping paper was to communicate there's something really special inside. Really special inside. In fact, 
when they're not looking, we throw the wrapping paper away. It's trash. Sex and marriage are like wrapping paper. Jesus is the gift. Great expense was, was, was went to to give you this gift, a gift that you don't deserve, a gift you can't earn, but God is glad to give it to you. Um, God put wrapping paper around this to let you know that there's something really special inside. In fact, there will be a day where there will be not, in, in, the, in the life to come, there is not sex, there is not marriage. Why, because sex and marriage are bad? No, but because Jesus will have fulfilled them. Sometimes people hear like, oh man, there's no sex and marriage in, in heaven, what a bummer. We're like little kids who like play with the wrapping paper and ignore the gift. It's just wrapping paper. It's just meant to point you to a greater reality. So all throughout the Old Testament and to the New is just this communication that, that God, is, God is doing something, God is doing something new, that God is doing something much bigger. And we, we often miss out on this beautiful vision, this river of God's passionate love for us. We must soak in this river that starts in Genesis. It begins to swell in the prophets. The banks burst in the gospel. And then in Revelation, we see it in all of its glory. And it's hinted out all throughout the Bible. In Isaiah 54, single barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married says the Lord. Now, check this out. In that culture, having kids was everything. If you're in the Jubilee Bible reading plan a few days ago, I think it was a few days ago. I might be a few days behind. Anyway, okay, maybe it was like a month ago. Anyway, the, um, but Rachel, uh, the wife of, of Jacob, says, give me children or I die. And here, God is saying, happier, more joyful are the barren ones ones who don't, aren't married, don't have sex, than the ones who have kids. How is that possible? Because marriage and sex is just a wrapping paper, and Jesus is the gift. For your, for your maker is your husband. And when the Bible speaks of, of, of our sin and our idolatry and our, and, in, in the Old Testament and even in the New, it, it speaks of it as infidelity. Why does he speak it that way? Because it's pointing. It's saying, look, this is just, this is just a rat. This is pointing to something greater. God's doing something greater on earth. Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus proved this love once and for all as he died for his bride, the church, by offering himself naked and bleeding on a Roman cross by giving all that he had to meet her needs, not by coming to this world to be served by her, to lay down his life as a ransom for her. That is why marriage is male and female. There is gospel logic to marriage. Like Christ and the church, it's love across difference. Like Christ and the church, it's love built upon sacrifice. Like Christ and the church, it's flesh uniting, life creating, never ending, exclusive love. Marriage is meant to point us to Christ, but it also disappoints us. Happy Valentine's Day.
Because even the most amazing love story is just a tiny echo of Jesus's love for us. When romantic love consumes our hearts, when it makes us feel helpless, when it makes us feel such joy, we cannot think of anything else. And when it crushes us so deeply that it leaves us sitting in a pool of our own tears, it's pointing us to something else. It's giving us a picture that there is a love that will last forever, ever. There is one romance that will smash through death. Uh, this love that, as well, if we miss it now, will devastate us for all of eternity. And this lover invites each one of us to come to him. In Revelation, John hears a great multitude proclaim, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. This is the moment of ecstasy and the eternal reality of ecstasy that every Christian is called to, which is why Jesus says, there will be no marriage because something greater has come. That's why it doesn't matter in this life. If you have Jesus and you're not married and never have sex again, you'll be missing out on nothing. Because marriage is the wrapping paper and Jesus is the gift. Three. So, how you're viewing marriage, it probably has a big deal of how you view this, the biblical sexual ethic. Because you might be sitting like, oh, I've got, you know, I've got this nice family and kids and my life and how in the world could I deny this? How could I, and what you mean is how could I deny this ultimate thing? It's not ultimate. Which is a third filter is that we idolize sex. Part of, again, part of what makes this difficult to absorb is that we feel like we are excluding people from the greatest experience in the world. But is it? What is the highest form of love? What did Jesus say? Jesus said in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. He just told us. If you believe and follow Jesus, he is telling you what is the best love to give and what is the best love to experience. The highest form of love is not sexual, it's sacrificial. And Jesus makes that love available to all to receive and then makes it possible to give. We idolize sex and marriage. Dick Hoyt passed away last year. That name may not mean much to you, but you probably know his story. In 1980, he started pushing his son in a wheelchair and he raced with his son more than a thousand races in 68 marathons. His son Rick is a quadriplegic and has cerebral palsy. His son told reporters that when, last year when he died, his dad died. When my dad pushed me in those races, it made me feel like I didn't have a disability. Dick gave up a lot to be in those races with his son. The time, the expense, not to mention the fact that 
that could have been a world-class athlete. In fact, you may not know this, his fastest time was just 30 minutes shy of the world record, and he was pushing his son in a wheelchair. What motivated Dick that there was a love between them like no other? This, the nature of this love was not sexual. It was sacrificial. Fourthly, another filter is that we, again, this is, has a bit of a theme to it, we idolize marriage to the point that we have no vision for singleness. Um, and we value the nuclear family over God's family. Sometimes I'll hear people say, I'm just trying to do what's best for me and my family. Show me that verse. Where in the Bible does it say you should do what's best for you and your family? What it does say is that you should seek the kingdom above all else. One time they were like, hey, Jesus, your family is looking for you. Your brothers and sisters are looking for you. And he steps back, well, these are my brothers. These are my sisters. Whoever does the will of my father. That's a, that's a big statement. And I'm just going to leave that one with you a little bit to chew on yourself in terms of how you live your life and how you, what are you communicating about who Jesus is? When there's no vision for the family of God here on earth, that somehow there's something better than the family of God here on earth and what he's doing of course, the, the loving your wife and raising your kids and, and disciplining them and instructing them and providing for them is part of the kingdom. It's just not better than the kingdom. We have to, if we're going to move forward in reclaiming the biblical sexual ethic as not only biblical, and this is what the God's word says, but actually beautiful, we are going to have to put on display long-term, intimate, non-erotic, non-romantic, sacrificial love between brothers and sisters. Paul said that we are one body, brothers and sisters, knit together in love, comrade in arms. Paul calls, his, Paul calls this guy Onesimus. He says, he's, he's a gospel partner of mine and, and I'm sending him back to you. And when, when he was sending him back to Philemon, he says, I'm sending you my very heart. Non-sexual, non non-romantic, deeply intimate. He says to the, uh, the, the church in Thessalonica, he says, I'm like a, a nursing mother to you. I mean, that's intimate. We have, in recapturing what the Bible says, we're gonna to have to recapture some of these themes. The reason why we've struggled in this area, there's a lot of reasons why we've struggled, but this is one of the filters that we just, we have that. We've not done a good job at loving our same-sex attracted brothers and sisters. We've often left them alone, shivering, shivering in the dark, feeling unwanted, feeling unloved, weird, excluded, 
question. For those of us who ever get tempted by anything, what is the worst thing we could do to you if you're really struggling with the temptation? We could leave you alone. That is the worst possible thing that we could do if you are struggling with any temptation. But that's what we've done. Fifthly, we're almost done. you may be deconstructing the wrong thing. So we, ha we have these filters that we're viewing it through. We, we view it through how the church has historically treated the gay community. Um, we, we view it, we, we don't actually even really understand marriage. We idolize sex, we idolize marriage. But the other thing is that we, we end up deconstructing the wrong thing, and maybe this applies to you. There, there's, there's a good way to deconstruct. Actually, Jesus did this. If you walk through the Gospels, read through the Gospel, he is constantly deconstructing. Deconstructing meaning taking an idea and pulling it apart. Taking an idea and pulling it apart. He constantly was deconstructing. The other being in the Bible that deconstructed was the devil. The devil leads people to question God, did he really say? Jesus leads people to question culture and religion, which is a part of culture. You've heard it said. Demonic deconstruction is questioning God, did he really say? Appropriate, life-giving, gospel-orientated deconstructing is when we question culture, which a religion is a part of that. So we wanna deconstruct culture and we wanna deconstruct religion. You've heard it said. You're questioning God when you should be questioning culture, like is it working? Is it working? Is a pushback on what God said specifically about the Christian sexual ethic, which is a big reason why a lot of people in the church are deconstructing their beliefs about God. It has to do with this, if, if you're unaware of that, by the way. Um, stats are coming out all the time, pointing back toward the Christian sexual ethic that leads to greater happiness and well-being. Everyone is concerned about sexual freedom and culture. A professor at Dartmouth did a study a few years back and discovered it. He did a study on what, is the, what are the number of partners, sexual partners needed to maximize happiness? And in his extensive, non-Christian guy, in his extensive research, the, the number of sexual partners to maximize happiness is one. That's out there. You can, so you've heard it said that you need sexual freedom, but actually, this is what actually works. You've heard it said that so in the 1960s, men would have commitment-free sex. Women wanted commitment-free sex as well. You've heard that said. 
However, the data says women who have sex inside marriage report greater levels of happiness and confidence than women outside of marriage. Children in two-parent homes is about the greatest advantage you could possibly give a child. You've heard it said that you just do what's best for you, but is it working? And, and, and the culture is really concerned about the rise of, of depression and suicide. Those documents are, are well, well, they're well documented. And you know, I think my kids this year, they did it. There was like a thing at their school, a week of suicide prevention. Do you know that people who attend church regularly are five times less likely to commit suicide? You've heard it said this, but this is what's actually true. Or, you know, like, you know, this, 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 this the biblical sexual, you've, biblical sexual ethic is very narrow-minded and, and very exclusive and, 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 but what's actually true? Well, where this comes from, this pushback comes from, is from secular humanism, where the concept of sexual freedom is born out of. But it's a very, very 20th century, Western, white, male, educated, wealthy concept. People who ascribe to sexual, uh, secular humanism are 46% more likely to be male than female. 46 times more likely to be white. If you care about diversity, don't dismiss Christianity. In fact, this may shock you if you do your research. What you'll discover is that Christianity is the most diverse, the most multi-ethnic, the most multicultural movement in all of history. Nowhere in the world outside of Western Europe and America will you find concepts like secular humanism. Uh, in the UK, a friend witnessed a black Nigerian street preacher, preacher near a, a train station getting approached by two white cops. And he was preaching the gospel, and these cops said, you got two choices. You can stop preaching, or we'll take you to jail. And this black Nigerian, I have to tell them the truth. They need to hear the truth. And they responded, nobody wants to hear that. That is the actual picture in the global world between white and black. You see, when you think about the biblical sexual ethic, you think about some white guy in a suit on TV who pronounces homosexual with way too many syllables. When in reality, the most likely person to be a Christian and the most likely person to believe in the biblical sexual ethic is a black woman. That is the way people believe all over the globe. It's the way people believe all in history. All I'm saying is you could be deconstructing the wrong thing when you actually find out what works and what doesn't work and what's true and what's actually not true you may see a different picture. How do we move forward? The band can come up if they'd like. Um, we need to move forward with 
humble confidence. I've read the back of the book and Jesus wins. And we, we, need, to, we need to turn, take, to take a hard turn away from ourselves and a hard turn to God's word. And all of the things, all of our missteps are not because we are taking the Bible too seriously. It's because we're not taking it seriously enough. That we fall into a licentious dip, ditch or we fall into a legalistic ditch or we begin to magnify the sins of others and minimize our own sin. It's bad for us and it's terrible for our witness. When in reality, the Bible says that when we see someone struggling, the first thing that should come to our mind is, man, I, I could see that this struggle really has a grip on their life. The first thought should not be, dismiss them, I'm better than them. Your first thought should be, I wonder what's gripping my life. I wonder what log I have in my eye. It should produce a humility in us that I don't clean myself. It shouldn't produce like, hey, we all sin. So like, well, you know, I'll, I'll let them pass. And I'll let myself pass. No, we need to deal with it. We need to deal with the sin. But it should cause us to look to ourselves. And then it says that we'll be able to see clearly to help the speck in our brother's eye. And all in the world, we don't even judge them. Because here's what you believe. Here's what you believe if you're a Christian, in case you forgot. What you believe is that in order for you to be a Christian, something supernatural has to happen in your heart. Like you didn't figure that out. That's what you believe. So how, why would you hold someone to a standard until something supernatural happens in their life? What's impossible with man is possible with God. So we deal with our own sin, we help each other in our sin, and we serve and love people that we totally disagree with. And pray for them and share the gospel with them and share our, the hope of Jesus with them until God does that miracle. As we said a few weeks, we are the hardest on culture. We're the second hardest on the person we're sitting next to and we're the easiest on ourselves. If we're gonna reach this next generation, we have to get the biblical sexual ethic right. And I don't just mean the rules. I mean the heart, the compassion, the love. We should deconstruct our own religious ideologies. Not what God says. That's a given. That's true. We keep that constant. That stays the same. Culture is going to do this. There's a six filter. Like, man, it's just culture. It's going to change in 20 years. I look at, I watch shows from 20 years ago and I'm appalled at our culture. You're going to be appalled at yourself in 20 years. Not just because you're older, by the way. <laughs> you're going to be appalled the way you thought. God's word is forever. It's constant. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. He's, 
we can, we can count, that's why our soul can find rest because that just stays the same culture is gonna do this. Here's some, non-religious ideologies are on the way down. You probably don't even know this. Non-religious ideologies are on the way down. Religion actually globally is on the way up. The issue about the future isn't whether or not we'll be religious or irreligious. The issue is whether it will be Christian or Islamic. By 2045, white people will be the minority and the culture will shift. And if, you're, if you love gospel Christian values, you're gonna love that because they are more likely to believe what Christians believe than our white brothers and sisters. That's why I have hope for the church in America. It's like a blood transfusion. When we stand. God, we are, we are so broken in need of your grace. God, I just pray for a confidence, a re-ignited confidence in you and your word that we would see you as ultimate, that we would see your word as ultimate, as the authority, as the constant, as the thing that brings us security and peace. I pray for that. And I pray for that. Pray for humility. Lord, as we look at your life, yielded, was the banner over your life. You were yielded before the Father, yielded before even becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul, at the end of his life, said, this is a statement worthy of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came to save sinners. My brothers and sisters, we can have confidence that Christ Jesus has come to save sinners sinners. He will gather a family from every tribe and every tongue. It will happen. It is happening. But then he adds, he came to same sinners of whom I am the worst. Can you, can we invite God to, to, to come to us to the point that we have confidence in him yet humility before him and our fellow man. God, I pray for that. I pray that the gospel would, would wreck our hearts. God, would you help us to remove the log out of our eyes so that we can see clearly to help our brother. We wanna be a witness in this world. We wanna shine out like lights in a dark world. Lord, we wanna be salt. We want, we love you. You're, you're the best thing that's ever happened to us. There's nothing greater than you. We submit everything to your Lordship. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In Jeremiah 18, we see God as the potter and we are the clay. And the clay wants to be the potter. That is the human condition. We want to be the potter. We are the clay. Here's the good news though. He doesn't throw away the clay. He just reforms us. Let him reform you. Let him shape you. Let him 
thank you, Jesus.